this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath russia's aggression against ukraine has led to a flurry of diplomatic activity with every country sort of compelled to take an official position on the conflict while the western world has been unanimous in condemning russia for violating what is known as the rules based international order some countries have stopped short of outright condemnation among these nations uh, which have tried to do a balancing act are india and china given that relations between india and china have been frosty in recent times it is interesting that they seem to be on the same page on the biggest geopolitical conflict today a few days ago when the un security council voted on a draft resolution condemning russia for its actions against ukraine india and china along with the uae were the only countries that abstained india china and the uae abstained once again on february 27th on a procedural vote taken in the security council to call for a special emergency session of the un general assembly on russia's aggression so what are the considerations that are driving india and china to adopt the positions that they have taken with russia getting increasingly isolated and the sanctions getting progressively harsher will india and china change their positions in the coming days or weeks we shall look for some answers to these questions in this episode of in focus and we have with us suhasini haider national editor and diplomatic affairs editor at the hindu and anand krishnan the hindu's china correspondent suhasini anand thank you so much for joining us thank you sampath pleasure to be here thanks sampath Uh, to start with let me begin with a basic question one of the fundamental principles if not the first principle of peaceful coexistence between modern nation states is thou shalt not invade thy neighbor as it were and russia has gone and done exactly that almost the entire world uh, seems to have condemned this but india has chosen not to do so what exactly is the thinking behind this uh, decision so asani would you like to go first on this sure sampad some would say that india's abstention at these uh, votes is almost a predetermined outcome uh, because this is not just about the fact that india and russia are traditional partners strategic partners historically very very close uh, the fact is that particularly at the united nations there's been a sense that russia really has had and the soviet union before that has had india's back uh, and that vetoes uh, against uh, you know votes uh, that would in some way be critical of india on various issues particularly jammu and kashmir or something that russia has held back uh, so in a sense there is uh, there is uh, the the narrative that india and russia have at least on this multilateral forum uh, always had close positions now uh, there is also the precedent which is that in these cases india has in the past as well uh, chosen uh, to prefer a, a a less obtrusive position simply because this is not a a, a crisis that directly uh, impacts india apart from of course the 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 well-being of indian citizens uh, in the ukraine uh, and the third point has really been uh that uh, india is normally not in this position you know you are right now we are talking about india stand simply because india is having to take a public stand because it is at this time at the united nations security council as a non permanent member you know the tenure is about 2 years 
uh, which will uh, uh, run out at the end of this year. Uh, and in the past, say, for example, in 2014, where India also took this very, very uh, cautious stand and did not criticize uh, Russia on its actions in Crimea, in that case, India was not in the UNSC, whereas in this case it is. So every vote, and we have seen at least, uh, you know, three or four resolutions going through the UN Security Council where India has abstained. Those two votes you mentioned are important. Uh, the UN General Assembly later, of course, um, uh, it won't matter that India is in the UNSC, but also the Human Rights Council is going to look at uh, uh, these issues. Uh, the, the fact is that this time around, because India is in the UN Security Council, um, it has its stand has uh, evinced, if you like, much more attention. Right. You you made a reference to the fact that Russia has, uh, or the USSR has had India's back uh, in the past uh, on these kinds of uh, situations involving taking a stand in the Security Council and so on. Apart from that, are there other pragmatic factors also at play, such as India's dependence on uh, weapons imports, on defense equipment from Russia and so on and so forth? Of course, I, the fact that uh, India gets even today is dependent on Russia for about 70% of its uh, military hardware stock and um, for more supplies, as well as new cutting edge technology, missile systems like the S-400 uh, that is underway uh, in deliveries uh, to India, transfer of technology. Also remember that Russia is the only country, uh, foreign country that is actually running a nuclear power plant in India, Kudankulam. Uh, and all the reactors that are part of it are the only place where a foreign uh, entity is actually running a, a nuclear power plant in India. All the other countries that have evinced interest have always backed off because of legal complications and other things. Uh, so there are many reasons why India feels that its uh, best interests and the, uh, the government feels its best interests are served uh, really by not taking a stand by not coming out to condemn or criticize Russia in any uh, way. Uh, uh, the government, of course, feels that it is taking a neutral position, that it has, in fact, left the door open for India to play a better role in mediating in this crisis. Uh, but the truth remains that every abstention is being read by those who are pushing for much tougher action against Russia, uh, is being read as India actually supporting Russian aggression. And this is something we've been hearing from a lot of Western diplomats in the last few days. But the the uh, the rationale for India's uh, decision to stand with Moscow, as you said, is, is based on so many pillars. And of course, the defense and strategic partnership is a big one. Right. In the case of India, of course, uh, the, the history of strategic partnership and a very real, uh, what should I say, dependence, so to speak, on uh, defense-related aspects is very clear. But when we look at China, which is almost a superpower in its own right, it is not uh, at the same level of uh, dependency with regard to Russia, uh, at least compared to the level India is. So what are China's calculations in abstaining uh, at the Security uh, Council? Uh, Anand, would you like to go ahead? I think it's quite uh, striking, Sampath, that if you listen to the last uh, part of what Swarasani just said, uh, I just found it so interesting that uh, it pretty much exactly kind of summed up how Beijing was looking at it as well in terms of, uh, as Swasani put it, uh, not criticizing uh, Russia, but at the same time trying to be seen as being neutral uh, and not taking a side in the dispute. That's exactly what they've been trying to do. Uh, and I've been following over the last few days what the foreign ministry in Beijing has been saying. 
and, and and it's pretty much been sticking to that same script where they're saying exactly what India said, which is they don't want to see violence, they want a diplomatic solution, but at the same time, they aren't calling it an invasion or publicly criticizing uh, Russia or Putin for his actions. And I think both have this sort of a shared concern of not wanting to aggravate their position with the West. But I think the similarities kind of end there. And obviously, it's a very different uh, sort of set of equations for China. Also, as Suhasini said, India not being one of the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, which China is, uh, so it does find itself a, a part of these debates. And I think it was a different question for China. If India, if the debate was whether India was going to abstain or support the resolution, I think people were wondering if China would veto it, which Russia anyway did, or if China would abstain. So it was a different kind of set of choices that China was facing. And I think very much like India, the fact that Beijing was trying to appear to be neutral was why it abstained. Uh, but I think it's much harder for Beijing than it is for New Delhi because Already, China has very short relations with the U.S., with some countries in Europe, and far more than India, Beijing is being blamed by many of these countries for emboldening Russia, especially now that you're talking about sanctions and the like, uh, the fact that China is Russia's biggest trade partner, and the fact that they have so many trade, commercial, financial linkages. So China is actually in a very tough situation right now, where on the one hand, it wants to stand with Russia, which it has close relations with. Uh, and like India as well, uh, some, but there are many, many pillars of that, which uh, I won't go into in full detail. Uh, but there is a pragmatic component where uh, there's a huge amount of energy trade uh, that China imports from Russia and China needs. But there is also, I think we can't underemphasize this, there's an ideological component in terms of both of them having this deep discomfort with the, with the U.S. and with NATO as well. Uh, from day one, China has been sticking to the line, which it still is saying that this crisis is as much Russia's fault as it is NATO's fault. Uh, and they keep making the point that you can't look at this invasion without looking at the things that led to it. And they've been blaming NATO and the US. and They continue to be doing so. But I think the harder question is going to be in the next few days, Sampat, if you look at for India and China, if the situation gets worse, if there are going to be more civilian casualties, uh, it's going to become very uh, difficult uh, for India and especially for China to to come across as being seen neutral when there's going to be lots of anger directed at them, the situation deteriorates. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, as uh, as both Suhasini and you have just uh, laid out in clear terms, uh, one of the clear contradictions here seems to be that both the countries want to be seen as neutral, and at the same time uh, they are conscious of being seen as uh, or perceived by the West as uh, supporting Russia and therefore aggravating their relations with the West. And I was just going through some of uh, some of the stuff that's been coming out from official channels from India as well as China. And I was looking at some of the Russia, Chinese official media outlets and so on. And, and they have been sort of far more critical, I would uh, imagine, uh, of the West in terms of blaming NATO, blaming the US. And they have they've put some of them have put out a long uh, laundry list of American invasions, which apparently haven't met with the same kind of universal criticism. So do you agree that China has been far more critical of the West in this entire saga than India so far? No, absolutely. And I think that they have been emphasizing every single day since the invasion began on February 24th. And even before that, um, they've been saying that it's NATO's fault. And in fact, in very, very direct language, uh, at one point uh, last week, uh, China's foreign ministry spokesperson Hua Chunying said uh, very matter-of-factly that this is what happens if you push a large country to the wall. 
So that was as close as kind of justifying Russia's actions. Uh, and a few days ago, she even mentioned the fact that she mentioned something that's very emotive for many Chinese, which was the NATO's bombing of the Chinese embassy uh, in Belgrade in 1999. Uh, so she also made the point saying that when they're criticizing Russia's actions right now, uh, she used the word that NATO still owed China, quote unquote, blood debt uh, for the Chinese that were killed in the embassy bombing. So that, that history is there as well. And I think that uh, when I mentioned this ideological sort of binding glue, uh, it's it's quite interesting that uh, for all the concerns that Russia has, what NATO is doing are kind of mirrored in China's concerns and what the U.S. is doing uh, in the Indo-Pacific. So they really see eye to eye on that in terms of, for instance, you've seen Russia being critical of the Quad, which is something that China is thinking about a lot right now. So there's a lot of sort of mirroring in their positions of how Russia looks at what the U.S. and its allies are doing in its backyard. And China, in terms of what the U.S. and its allies and partners, uh, and they put India in that bracket as well, are doing in China's backyard. I think that's a very sort of common factor for both of them. Anand, you know what has been also interesting, uh, and certainly this was something we were picking up through the vote at the UN Security Council, is that India's abstention, in a way, has been India's position. Uh, it's, It's almost called an abstentionist power in many ways, because even in the last time, We were at the UN Security Council in 2011. Uh, We were faced with so many choices over Libya, uh, over Syria, and most of India's votes really were there somewhere down uh, the middle, uh, non-interfering kind of votes. Uh, But it is the shift in the Chinese position, in a sense, that had many uh, diplomats buzzing, if you like, because just before uh, the the meeting was to be held, which I think was about 3 p.m. New York time, Uh, The Chinese side put out a statement of about six points saying that we don't approve of Chapter uh, 7 being used in any UNSC resolution. It should not be used uh, lightly because, of course, Chapter 7 authorizes the use of force. And those diplomats who had seen the original American uh, uh, document had seen that it had reference to this Chapter 7 and to the authorization use of force. The meeting subsequently got postponed, not by one hour, but two hours. And after that, we see the Chinese uh, ambassador come out and actually change the vote because earlier China had voted along with Russia a no to a previous resolution. Uh, and instead, they came out as an uh, as an abstention. Was there some backroom negotiation that details are coming out about between the West and China on this? Well, they have been very quiet about it. And if you look at what they've been saying publicly, um, as Sambat was saying as well, it's been very consistent in the fact that uh, they want to be blaming the West, especially the US, in everything they say uh, that can be construed as being mildly critical of Russia. Uh, for instance, today they spoke about uh, the importance of sovereignty being respected, uh, which is something that uh, the Foreign Minister Wang Yi said on February 19th as well. Uh, but they really haven't followed that up with anything harsher than than, than that or even saying that uh, Russia should refrain from invading or taking any violent steps. Uh, so I think they've been really careful in, in sort of balancing in everything that they've been saying. Uh, and as you said rightly, I think it's very clear that there were discussions going on um, at the UN that led to China abstaining and not vetoing. Uh, but uh, I think they may draw the line there. I think it's very difficult to see them going along to next steps. Uh, when you're talking about sanctioning. Uh, and I think uh, today as well, on March 1st, they've been very, very uh, critical uh, in, in terms of uh, 
the sanctions route. They've been saying time and time again that they think that sanctions have never worked anywhere and will not work in this current situation as well. So if they have been backroom negotiations, I think in terms of the wording of the resolution, I think it's going to get harder as things uh, go forward because the Chinese will have to take a stand. Uh, and as the situation gets worse, it's going to be harder for them to try and, uh, as we've been saying, to be seen to be neutral is going to become impossible. Right. Uh, Suhasini, you've, you've maintained so far that I mean, to a large extent, India has been consistent in its uh, policy of abstaining from these kinds of uh, resolutions. And I was listening uh, to your uh, interview with the German ambassador. It was a fascinating conversation there too. And one of the points he made uh, in this context, I mean, if you're going to be not acting on the principle of supporting a rules-based international order, uh, India could uh, risk getting hoist by its own pitard, as it were, in, in case something like that were to happen uh, to India, like what has happened to Ukraine. And, and the German ambassador sort of hints at this in one of his uh, responses to your question. Do you think India has uh, sort of is in some some way inviting that risk going forward, given tensions with China and so on? Well, let's put it this way, uh, Sampath. The fact is that so far the government, and, and by this I mean every Indian government, has somehow maintained some kind of balance. It was called non-alignment. Subsequently, it was called strategic autonomy. Now it is more and more referred to as an independent line. Uh, but the truth is that India's aspirations to being, uh, uh, you know, at the high table, if you like, of the world, have always been uh, criticized by those who have said, well, India doesn't really take a stand when push comes to shove. It doesn't stand with the West. Uh, and it certainly does not necessarily stand uh, with other powers like Russia and China uh, in, a, in an overt sort of way. Um, so, yes, I think in this particular case, uh, what the German ambassador, Walter Lindner, you were referring to that interview, and you can read that interview in The Hindu tomorrow, uh, is essentially saying that India, too, is talking about a transgression at its borders by a larger power. And the principle is really, can power defeat law? Uh, obviously, the, the, the Western uh, countries have been making this point that it is a it is the international rule of law. It should not matter whether it happens in Europe or whether it happens in the Indo-Pacific. When Mr. Jaishankar went to Australia for the Quad meeting, I think there were very pointed references coming from Australia, coming from the United States, about the fact that if in the Indo-Pacific there is a worry about China's transgressions and, and, and China violating uh, international rules, uh, then that cannot be taken more seriously than the concerns Europe has about Russia. And at that time, we had not seen the, the invasion play out as it has uh, subsequently. Uh, so it is a very interesting point for particularly the Modi government to be in, because it is the Modi government that has really taken uh, the pattern, uh, uh, the if you like, forward on the Indo-Pacific, on the Quad, on talking about restraining uh, China through a kind of coalition of quote-unquote like-minded democracies. If you are going to be a like-minded democracies, you might find other democracies then saying, well, what about these shared values? Now, what is not said in all of this, and, and that too is in that interview with the German ambassador, is that there is a bit of a Western double standard when it comes to uh, one invasion versus the other. Uh, for example, in 2003, the U.S. invasion of Iraq certainly in, in, invoked some criticism uh, from various countries. In fact, at that time, if I remember, India had even had a parliamentary resolution decrying what the U.S. had done, gone into Iraq for the second time, this time without a UN mandate. Germany and France had also criticized it. 
But we hadn't seen the kind of actions we have seen against Russia in this short period of four days. Uh, not only has Russia been completely excluded from the financial system of Europe, all flights have been cancelled. Uh, they are now all uh, turning their policies of demilitarization into uh, increased militarization. Uh, many European countries have reversed policies and are now sending heavy weaponry to the Ukraine. Uh, and there is a very openly uh, uh, expressed desire, and the Russia, uh, the German foreign minister actually called Mr. Jay Shankar, and then the German foreign ministry put out a statement saying that we must all get together to isolate Russia. These are very strong words that are being used for Russia, which we haven't seen being used uh, for other Western uh, um, uh, interventions, including the one that the UN mandated in Libya, which started out as what is called an R2P, a responsibility to protect. Um, and then ended up as a regime change exercise. Uh, so while uh, there is no question, as you pointed out, that the invasion by Russia into Ukraine, the fact that they send Russian troops, the fact that missiles continue to rain on various military installations across Ukraine is a complete violation of Ukraine's sovereignty. Uh, the fact is that there isn't necessarily the same kind of outrage uh, in other interventions that we have seen around the world. And that is not just uh, uh, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Yemen, um, Afghanistan, and, you know, in the old days in Vietnam, and others as well. Uh, finally, you know, there is the question of whether the United Nations itself is going to hold any relevance anymore, because you are looking at a system, uh, Sampat, where uh, every, every resolution is so polarized that one side or the other in the permanent five is going to veto it which means really that the UN Security Council, which is supposed to be the action body, uh, it's supposed to be you know, the, the grouping that moves quickly in times of global crises, is actually hemmed down. And today what we are seeing is the UN General Assembly coming out with a resolution uh, and probably will, will even pass this resolution given the number of co-sponsors the US and its allies already have, uh, which will criticize Russia, but it won't go much further than that. Um, so there are so many questions and, you know, what, what is important is to see whether this is going to be a moment in time, like what we saw perhaps with the Russian, uh, the Russo-Georgian War, as it was known in 2008, where Russia moved into uh, to what they call liberate two uh, enclaves of Georgia or the Crimean uh, uh, action in 2014, which actually did pass. Or is this going to be a turning point after which the UN will actually uh, face a crisis of its own existence. Right. I mean, as, as you pointed out, I mean, there is there, there has been like clearly a double standards. And one aspect of the double standards from the West is also the fact uh, that this level of coordination, you know, everybody being on the same page from the US, NATO, European Union, every member of the Uni European Union, this level of highly timed, coordinated response to a single uh, act by a single country. I think I, I haven't seen this in a long time. And in this kind of an unprecedented moment, India taking the kind of stand uh, it has, will there be any blowback from the US or the West? Is this like, for example, goodbye to a Security Council permanent membership for India? You know, it's early days because many, uh, many Western powers still say that they hope India will change its position. Uh, as it sees uh, uh, this uh, invasion continue or as it sees the conflict prolong. Uh, but I can tell you that straight away there are repercussions that India could feel. And the first one, which will really be the bellwether, will be what does the United States do about the fact that India is in the process of importing 
the S-400 missile systems from Russia. Now, this $5 billion deal has um, actually already evoked sanctions for Turkey and for China when they bought the same systems from Russia. Um, so the question is, is the Biden administration going to turn a blind eye uh, and allow these uh, um, uh, uh, these imports to continue to India? And of course, uh, this is something India has been saying, that it is part of India's uh, defense uh, deterrence. It needs these missile systems from Russia in order uh, to uh, defend itself. Or is the Biden administration going to make this a test case and say that if India continues to support Russia or certainly refuses to condemn Russia, that they would like to also uh, push for sanctions in this regard? That could really be another very, very important turning point, Sankar. Uh, so many are watching that closely just to see is, is, if that is going to uh, come through. Uh, as you spoke about other repercussions, clearly there will be some diplomatic disappointment. But the truth is India has, as I said, consistently held this position. So perhaps there is disappointment amongst those who thought India might have shifted by now uh, to a more pro-Western stance. But uh, in general, as you can probably see from a lot of the commentary inside India, uh, that there is a sense that India's decision must be independent. It must be its own decision made from sovereign autonomy, uh, not from pressure from uh, either the West or the Eastern blocs. Right. Uh, Anand, many analysts have, uh, have speculated uh, that China might be drawing lessons from the Ukraine saga for its own strategic uh, ambitions vis-a-vis -vis most specifically Taiwan. What are your thoughts on, uh, on this aspect? I think that the one issue uh, they've been focusing a lot uh, is the use of sanctions uh, and how far sanctions might go and if it can completely cripple the Russian economy in a way that has never happened before. I think that that's something that I've seen a lot of writing about in the Chinese press as saying that might be like a trial run if China was to take action on Taiwan. Uh, what are the kind of financial repercussions that it could face? Uh, and I think there's been a lot of focus on that in particular. But I, I, it, my own personal reading is I think the situations are very different. Uh, and I think maybe too many sort of easy comparisons have been made uh, in terms of Taiwan and Ukraine. Uh, and I think that countries would react very differently if it was China attacking Taiwan, whether it's the U.S. or even a country like Japan. Uh, so I think they're very different uh, situations. Uh, but the issue of sanctions is something that's been getting a lot of attention in China. Uh, and one point we should also add is actually this week is when um, China's annual parliament session uh, opens up. And it's the last session before this big party congress that's going to happen in October, uh, where Xi Jinping will finish his second term and start his third five-year term. So it is a kind of sensitive time in China right now, especially for the Chinese economy. And there's a lot of concern that if there's going to be a prolonged crisis, if there's going to be really hard-hitting sanctions that might in some way affect uh, Chinese banks that are doing business with Russia or Chinese companies that are doing business with Russia, uh, the effect on oil prices, on commodity prices at a time when the Chinese economy is just recovering uh, after all these ups and downs during COVID. So I think there are lots of concerns in China right now, especially when I think for Xi Jinping as well, the timing is uh, something that he really wouldn't have wanted to see as the last parliament session that he's going to chair before this Congress all of that happening later this week. So I think China is still concerned. I'd say number one concern is the domestic situation, both politically because of the Congress, economically as well, in terms of the repercussions it will face. Uh, and that's why I think you're seeing a similar sort of statement from, from India and China, which is they want to see an end to this as soon as possible. Uh, but 
in the question of how much leverage they have and whether Putin is in any mood to listen to them. Uh, I think that's a that's a very difficult question to answer. Right. One one aspect, of course, is the sanctions uh, which you spoke about. The other aspect, uh, which which comes up uh, interestingly, because one of the Chinese. Uh, official uh, mouthpieces on uh, social media has said that you can't compare Taiwan with Ukraine because unlike Ukraine, Taiwan has never been uh, recognized, you know, as a country. So that does carry uh, some significance, do you think, given that it's it's a reaction uh, to this kind of speculation? Only to a certain degree, because uh, I don't think that that will temper how, say, the US or Japan might react if China was to uh, attack Taiwan. Uh, in some sense, I mean, it's difficult to say, but it's not very hard to imagine a possibly stronger response. Uh, and I think that uh, the Biden administration on, on Feb 28 sent some former officials to Taiwan, probably just to to make that point that uh, the way they react to Ukraine might not necessarily sort of signify how they would react uh, to Taiwan. Though having said that, I think uh, looking at the Taiwanese media, uh, there has been a lot of sort of commentaries and writing expressing sort of concern in terms of what is the appetite uh, for countries to get involved, uh, given that the U.S. has been saying a lot in terms of uh, the Ukraine crisis, but not doing so much uh, in terms of its uh, having skin in the game besides sanctions and the like. So it is being, uh, so in that sense, a comparison is being made in Taiwan. Uh, but I think that... Uh, they are very sort of very, very different situations and very different cases. So I wouldn't necessarily draw a straight line in terms of saying reactions to the Ukraine crisis would be reflected in how countries would react if there was a big sort of change in the China-Taiwan status quo. Right. We're running out of time. So one final question uh, where both of you can come in, uh, and that is, uh, how do you see India and China's respective stances are changing in the coming weeks, what kind of a trajectory in terms of a strategic uh, decision-making change uh, do either of you see or expect in the coming days and weeks? So, Hasan, you want to go first? You know, this is always a difficult one because it's like looking into a crystal ball. Um, and the truth is that so far, anyone who has predicted India might change has found that they have been wrong. Um, so far, the consistency, uh, consistency with which India has abstained from votes seems to indicate uh, that they don't see any kind of push factor, any kind of reason uh, to really throw their hat into this ring and to change their position in uh, favor of the West, as, as, as so many of the NATO countries and the US and Europe are, are hoping that India will do. Uh, nor to actually, um, you know, to, uh, to uh, make any kind of loud uh, noise that would indicate that it actually uh, is standing with Russia, other than this kind of tacit support. I'll, I'll turn you to a, a simple um, a demonstration in, in terms of telephone calls that Prime Minister Modi took and, and, and made in the last week. Before the last UN vote, uh, he spoke just hours before it uh, with President Putin. Uh, and they discussed a wide range of issues. It didn't seem that there was too much that they were uh, deferring on, apart from the fact that the prime minister made that appeal uh, for uh, a cessation of violence. Uh, the, the call from the Ukrainian president, Mr. Zelensky, however, was not taken until after the UN Security Council vote. Uh, although, uh, you know, as the Hindu had reported, there'd been a request from the Ukrainian side several days before. Um, so it would seem that India is subtly making that point that we will continue down this path. We don't see a reason to shift. Uh, at this point, 
but I would not be able to look too far into uh, the looking glass because who had who would have really imagined that Russia would not only carry out this kind of recognition of Donetsk and Luhansk, which obviously was a, a sticking point between Russia and Ukraine for years, uh, but that Russian troops would go into Ukraine, that Russia would be seeking to somehow uh, surround Kiev and perhaps even effect some kind of a regime change. All of this was fairly unexpected a few weeks ago. Uh, so I think events might decide the stance more than anything else. Right, that's that's a that's a pretty insightful uh, sort of point about the timing uh, at which India chose to take calls with the Russian president and the Ukrainian uh, president, and that of course is a kind of signaling one uh, could take note of. Anand, uh, your final thoughts on this? Oh, no, I would completely agree with that. I would think events on the ground and specifically Russia's actions will determine how India and China as well uh, change their stance going forward. Uh, I mean, even if you look at the Chinese position right from the from the outset, uh, when uh, Putin traveled to Beijing and met uh, Xi Jinping in early February, I think there were. I think it's plausible to assume the Chinese knew of some action, uh, and they didn't want Putin to take any steps until the Olympics concluded on Feb twentieth. And he actually waited literally for one day after that uh, to to announce that he was recognizing those two breakaway republics. Uh, but I think the Chinese probably didn't expect what was to follow, which was a complete bombardment and invasion of the whole of Ukraine. Uh, and I think the more sort of uh, drastic steps Putin takes uh, and the more the situation deteriorates on the ground, I think uh, China will be less and less inclined to stick its neck out. Uh, and I don't think that it has, a, uh, as far as China-Russia relations are concerned, I do, even though they claim to be otherwise, I don't think it's limitless. Uh, and, I, and I think that China will not want to be isolated along with Russia if the situation worsens. As Swasni said, I think it all depends on the situation on the ground. Right. I think, yeah, I think that about wraps up uh, the kind of uh, aspects you wanted to look at it in this podcast. Thank you so much, Swasni. Thank you, Anand. Hopefully, we'll come back to this subject again uh, in the coming days and weeks. Thank you so much for it. Thank you, Sampat. Thank you. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.